I'm Chris White. I am a filmmaker, uh, specifically a screenwriter and a director. I live in South Carolina, and when I grew up attending a Southern Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina, I found art and creativity and creative expression was completely uh, at ease with my faith. And, and I know that's not a story that a lot of people have. A lot of people have a different kind of story, but I kind of came alive and creatively in a church youth group listening to Christian rock and roll music in the 1980s. And so I've made this movie called Electric Jesus, which is uh, a tribute, I would say, to that time and also a fond remembrance of it. Welcome to the Stone Chapel. Yes, this is, uh, I've never been to a place like this before. This is this pretty is, incredible, right? It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. It's hard to describe. I, I keep trying to tell my friends where I am and try to explain where I am, and I haven't come up with a good a good description. I feel. You know, the way I say it to folks, just to try to get something in their heads, imagine a little piece of Oxford that broke off and fell in northwest Houston. Yeah. That's sort of it that, is. That's sort of it what is. it's like, right? It is. It really and is. And then we just happened to have a fifth century Byzantine chapel as well. <laughs> Which I can't go imagine. It's incredible. Right? Yeah. Incredible. It's, it's great. Well, it's incredible to have you here. Thank you. And an honor that you would be with us on the podcast to talk a little bit about your movie, but also about your art mm-hmm. and uh, about what you have coming up in the future. Sure. Art is has this way of communicating truth and a way of communicating theology and worldview that is very important and timely. It is it is our way of telling stories today. Mm-hmm. Filmmakers are our storytellers, I think. And whereas we used to sit around campfires and tell stories and to each other, I don't think we do that quite as much as we used to, but we, we go to the movies, we turn on Netflix, we sure. we go to the internet, you yes. know, we find stuff. So anyway, let's begin with uh, who is Chris White? Just tell us about that. You told us a little bit about that in the intro. Yeah, I mean, I'm but, a, uh, I, I live and work out of South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. My wife, Emily, and I are film producers. I have three kids who are grown. Uh, well, they're in their 20s. So they Whether feel they're grown, grown or not. They, they, they feel grown to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Emily and I, uh, we develop film projects and work on film projects, usually narrative feature films or like a TV series. So we, we have worked on documentaries um, and I've done documentaries, but a narrative feature would be just, you know, a fiction film, a film where we, we create characters and tell the story with, yeah. with characters, which yeah. is how we seem to connect with story and narrative and and seem to sometimes we learn things better that way than even if just didactically if a teacher tells us right here are the four know. points you need to remember you know about so and so yeah right right, yeah, right. Yeah. i mean that 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 has value mm-hmm. but sometimes seeing it lived out or not lived out is a better way of of drilling home those those ideas that's a that's a great point um i i even with electric jesus i tell people that i've seen Usually, the way Christians or evangelicals or just Christians are presented in media, we often see uh, uh, Christians are either presented as sinister, uh, stupid, or superheroes. 
Mm. And if you think back to how maybe you've seen believers presented in movies, yeah. they're, they're either the bad guy or they're just idiots or they're the greatest person you've ever seen. And I have never met a Christian that is any of those. <laughs> any of those three, right? Uh, Most we, of them are a mixture of a little bit of all of that. Of course, right? of right. course. Uh, my Christians in my movie, and, and I should say Electric Jesus is not what we would cla- cla- quantify as a faith-based movie. I, I think there are elements of it that it's just, a, you know, it's a coming-of-age rock and roll movie. But it happens to be about Christians and, and Christians who are are teenagers and are going to mess up and are a little goofy and weird around the edges and, mm-hmm. I don't know, remind me of me and my friends growing up. Yeah. So was this nostalgia for you then? Well, you know, I'm having a little trouble with nostalgia because okay. I find that nostalgia comes up empty at the end of the day. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, nostalgia seems to be... Uh, uh, gets sentimental, gets that kind of earn, unearned emotion, if that was what we would consider sentimentality. I, I can get lost in nostalgia. Nostalgia doesn't answer my big questions, but I do think nostalgia can have a very beneficial purpose in that it can bring us back to something, remind us of a time, or remind us of something, maybe remind us of who we were, or mm. what we believed, or something that maybe inspired us at a certain time. And 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 then that's how I think we can redeem nostalgia. Nostalgia can take mm-hmm. us on that little time travel back mm-hmm. to remember something. And you know, as humans, we put together memories in weird ways. Yeah, I, I have some memories from childhood that are just based on a picture, maybe from being four years old, and I think I remember that. That yeah. But what I remember is the photograph, right? Right. Right. Or we we have a, a you know a tragic breakup or something traumatic maybe happens when we're younger, and then forever something is 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 colored by that or or twisted in our mm-hmm. memory by that mm-hmm. so you know the act of writing and then filming electric jesus a lot of it was stepping back and like unpacking some memories mm-hmm. and really thinking about what that time was like for me and my friends and maybe what it was like for for people who were watching the movie yeah you know so there'll probably be a lot of people that could identify with those characters and those young guys and such. I was a little older at that point and in, in grad school, but I started out in Jesus music, as we called it back oh, in those yeah, days. Of course, in the seventies, primarily playing rock and rock and roll, mm-hmm. playing in stadiums and playing in coffee shops, of course, and uh, coffee houses. We called them yeah, back, and not yeah. coffee shops like Starbucks, <laughs> but coffee coffee houses uh-huh. and and back back porches, just anywhere. You know that they people would ask us to, to play, and it was a new genre. I mean, there was, at least it seemed new. We we loved rock and roll, but there really wasn't, there, there was a sinister side of rock and roll, or could be. Sure. We wanted to redeem the message in a way. And that's that's really where that Jesus music came from. It came from a, a revival movement. Really, there, there were several pockets of where this was starting, but it, it was centralized, a lot of it was centralized in Southern California, mm-hmm. late 60s, going into the early 70s. There were people that were being converted to the Christian faith who were, hippies so they get right with jesus but they still had these guitars and these drums and these amps and they still love that music and just as a natural outgrowth of that started maybe changing the lyrical content and in some ways changing some of the venues they were playing but suddenly sunday morning or uh maybe a youth retreat somewhere in a camp suddenly became the the new rock and roll venue (laughs) and the movement came out of that but by the time the 80s roll around that that Jesus music has been more codified, and uh, there's marketing now. You know, there's an industry right. built up around it. But it was yeah. it was actually very 
pure and it just came out of a really special time for a lot of people. Really did, yeah. I, I've referred to that, and, and you've, I'm sure, as well as the Jesus movement. Yeah, it yeah, was a that's kind right. of a Jesus movement at that particular point, and that that was language that was going around at the time. But you and I were talking earlier about how rock and roll itself is not birthed outside the church, but really birthed within the church. Isn't that crazy? It really was. I mean, rock and roll is a, is a fusion of blues music, gospel music, maybe a little bit of jazz that's starting to creep into the instrumentation. But rock and roll is started by African Americans, and it starts, and some of the singing and playing comes from that tradition. And that, when we talk about Sister Rosetta Tharp. who's just the godmother of rock and roll, who's playing a big hollow-bodied electric guitar in the 40s and 50s and singing songs about Bible stories and gospel stories. And and you can hear rock and roll. You know, you can hear Elvis. In her, Elvis. Yeah. Elvis is a Christian who those early rock and rollers came up in church, came up in small towns. Yeah. Came up, sang in the church choir. Of course, when there were church choirs. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> when there were exactly, right. and then that takes different forms and different shapes as we get into the '60s. But and in, in late mid to late '50s to the '60s, it takes a different thing. But isn't that interesting that we we kind of think of rock and roll as some kind of rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of alternate society challenging uh, institution, and and. I guess it kind of was, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, just like just like that early rock and roll was a way of expressing faith and a and a way of singing about about uh, the the gospel in a way that was felt real and true mm-hmm. to people. Well, the Christian faith has always been kind of a subversive element mm-hmm. within culture, right? And 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 we're not really called so much to we have to go out there and change culture as we have to call people out of that world into this alternative reality. Well, David, you don't have to preach that to me. I you mean, know that's, that. That's where I live. I mean, <laughs> you again, know that, right? As a filmmaker, I, I am a, a Christian, and as a filmmaker, I I see my job as to just tell the truth and to tell real stories about real people, and they can be in all sorts of genres. They can, you know, Electric Jesus is funny. You know, it's a funny movie. It's mm. touching. It'll make you cry, I hope. But... But yeah, I just I think all of that artistic expression can enlighten, can can express truth, and then uh, I think we we can let our audience go on that journey with us and come up with the conclusions they come up with from yeah. that journey. Yeah. And and isn't that a a, a great way to figure something out? Hmm. You know, when something moves you in a piece of art, and maybe you have this epiphany, maybe you see something like you've never th- seen it or thought about it before. And then everything changes, hmm. you know, and, and that's that, the power of art. Art does that. I mean, it can, it can do that. I, I remember certain songs and periods of my life that just had a very prophetic speak to it, you know, for yeah. me, you know, and they weren't necessarily Christian songs. They might have been secular songs, right? And I think that's part of the challenge because today people are wanting to make culture, you know, a lot of Christians would like to say, well, we need to 
you know, uh, make this culture Christian. It needs to reflect our values, mm-hmm. but it's not going to necessarily. It's going to reflect values nope. of other people, and we are to be f- true and faithful to the values that we have. And, and and I think that's actually that's one of the things that's interesting about Christians in American or Western culture today is it's not how much can we be like everybody else or how much can we uh, fit in. I think it's more interesting in being peculiar and how are we maybe look at things. Maybe we aren't as afraid as afraid or as worried about some things as some people are. You know, maybe there is a, a, a peace or maybe there's just a, a freedom that we have that other people notice. You know, again, we, we're still humans. Right. We still are broken. Still, <laughs> we're still sinners. Right. We still f- fail in all sorts of ways. But, mm. man, the idea that Christians can be people in society, in relationship, that at least have a maybe land at a different place or approach, go through those things in a little different way is, uh, is interesting. Mm. So this group that you created, mm-hmm. did you have models for these? Um, I mean, did, okay, were, there, yeah. were there friends? <laughs> were there were there musicians oh, that you knew? Yeah. that sort of are represented in this sure. in your storytelling. Sure, sure. So the band in the movie Electric Jesus is they're called Three Sixteen, obviously based on John Three Sixteen. Cool name for a band, right? Yeah. And uh, they're four guys, and they, they wind up going on the road. Uh, a Christian music manager, played by Brian Baumgartner, who's Kevin on The Office, uh, <laughs> he, he finds them, and he takes them on the road for the summer. And it's funny, all the names, I would say most of, just about every name in the movie is inspired by directly from a friend. Uh, but they're not, like I tell my friends, it's like, just because the character has your name, that doesn't mean... That was you. You know, the character might be inspired by another friend of ours. Oh, okay. We did a screening early on. The film came out last November, and uh, it's on all the streaming services and stuff. That's how you see it. Um, the music too. The music, the soundtrack, streaming everywhere. But well, we're when, gonna we're gonna make sure we put into our show notes kind of oh, ways that people can can yeah, get yeah. that and access that. So. Yeah. But when we when we were about to release it, we had a screening for my old youth group friends. Uh, in in South Carolina, and we had I don't know we had sixty or seventy people and families in the room, and one of the nods in it is uh, Brian Baumgartner's character wears a toupee mm. in the movie, and, and it's not a, like a bad toupee, but it's clearly a toupee. You know, he's wearing a toupee, <laughs> and it was definitely an homage to my pastor at the time who wore a toupee. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. Who at some point in, in my high school years, the, our pastor stopped wearing the toupee. Very handsome man. I mean, you know, he just. I don't know. He just thought he looked better with a toupee with hair on his head. <laughs> and then it went away, and we were just freaked out. We couldn't believe it. You know, I think our parents maybe had a clue that he was wearing a toupee. But anyway, that inside <laughs> so you didn't joke. you at the time. You didn't know. Right, right. No, okay. Not until it went away. And uh, so uh, it is a fun inside joke for the people that grew up in the Northside Baptist Church uh, youth group. Oh, no, now I've identified that pastor. If somebody's listening and knows that. <laughs> But yeah, just there's little nods like that throughout. Yeah. But three, Wait, don't, don't all writers do that? I mean, to some degree. Sure. I mean, we recreate our world in, in a way by the patterns that we've seen before. Sure, and when you're writing dramatically, I might bookmark a character. I might just call them. I might give them a name that reminds me of somebody. You know, mm-hmm. I'm marking it in my head. Like I, when that character talks, I want it to sound like my friend John or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I call him John. 
Now, I may change that at the end if I, if I want the name to be different, but a lot of times I, I just throw a name in or an homage to uh, the main character in uh, Electric Jesus. Uh, well, they meet a, a young woman on the road, a preacher's daughter. Her, her name is Sarah, and that's inspired by my sister-in-law's name. And the names pop up, and yes, right. and writers do mark those names, yeah. know, use yeah. them all the time. So if you know a writer... You have to be very careful what you say around them <laughs> because they will use it because we're desperate for material. <laughs> That's right. Be careful. Oh, man. You may end up in the movie. You That's may, right. You may not want to. Hopefully as a good character, not as a bad mm-hmm. character. So did you always want to make movies? I did. I grew up, um, so I'm, I'm 52 right now, and that, that makes me a, a Gen Xer uh, born in 1970, and Star Wars came along. Uh-huh. Right when I was a kid, and I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I collected those those cards and the action figures, and I can remember playing with them. I would see the cards, I would see the frame, and then I would play with those figures and make them walk around and do stuff. And I think that's when I started making movies. Mm. Just that's the way I used to play. I would listen to the soundtrack record. So that's when I think I started. But yeah, in high school and, and stuff, that's right when we were getting video cameras you know so oh, yeah. me and my friends would get cameras and make things and i went to a school called Furman university in in south carolina and i was a theater major there so that's when i started really mm. uh, digging in learning becoming trained and educated do you, and th- do you ever appear in your own movies i, I have before uh-huh. I, I like to say if the if the part doesn't have to be a famous person and the character looks like me then <laughs> Then maybe I can do it. But they kept asking me... You can electric- get past casting maybe at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, people kept asking me if I was going to be an extra in Electric Jesus, and they want to put me in a wig and do all this stuff. And I'm like, this is so hard, directing this movie. It is like the biggest professional challenge of my life. I do not want to spend a day in a wig and spandex, you know, walking around <laughs> acting like a rocker. I'm just like, no, no, no. Uh, now, were the guys in the movie, were they actually musicians? Yeah, so the band, a couple of the guys in the band, the drummer, uh, Caleb Hoffman plays the drummer, and he was a drummer, and he spent 10 years in a Christian, like a worship band as a drummer. And our lead singer, Wyatt Linhart, uh, is also a singer, multi-instrumentalist. Guitar players, the bass player, and the guitarist, they had to learn. But I had this incredible collaborator and a fellow named Daniel Smith hmm. that wrote the music. I wrote the corny lyrics, but Daniel made the songs good. Daniel made the, uh, the music good, and he taught the guys basically how to play wow. on set. And so when you hear Wyatt and then Shannon, the young woman who sings in the movie, they are singing live on the day. That was another thing we wanted hmm. to do. So we, we had them recorded in a studio, go to set... Normally, you lip sync while we're filming, but I had this crazy idea because I like this movie called The Commitments where they sang live. I was like, I want them to sing live. <laughs> it was very tricky. Yeah. Shannon, I think 100% of her vocal is live on the day. Wyatt is singing this high, crazy, you know, Christian heavy metal music. That was a little bit more difficult to get, uh-huh. you know, especially when you're doing eight or nine takes of a song. You know, uh, yeah. he was a trooper, but he, he was war. Out. I started to say at that'll wear you out. Yeah, you wear your voice out mm-hmm. very quickly. At that but point. incredibly talented people, and uh, uh, Daniel and I really wanted the songs. This is why the soundtrack's such a fun listen. We wanted the songs to be wanted, wanted them to be good songs. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're in the style of maybe '80s uh, heavy metal. There's some bluegrass um, songs. There's all sorts of genres on the record. But we just we thought in your memory. We remember things a lot better than maybe they were 
going mm. back to that nostalgia mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted these to sound like they sounded in, in our lead character, Eric, in his memory. And in his memory, that band was the best thing mm-hmm. that he'd ever heard. Yeah. So that's the and, way they and, sound. And it probably was one of the best experiences of his life. Of right? course. I mean, he, he was experiencing that. And and, and no was, spoilers. Uh, the end, we end in a, in a kind of a tension, a wistful spot. Um, I, don't want, I don't want to say anything about the ending because it's okay. a real killer ending. But it ends in a place where Eric is remembering and, and maybe has a decision to make. And then, of course, mm. I let you as the audience make the decision you for, want to make so. for him or, or well for, for him, him i mean i've talked to people i've talked right. to all sorts of people and about the movie and people have different theories on what happened and ah, and, okay. and and you know what so it's happened. an open ending in a way you, you leave it open i leave, leave it, it just open enough i okay. i think it's i think it's pretty clear what happens at the end but i like hearing people's theories mm. you know and and what happened between 1986 and now and I, I love hearing those, you know, I like you finishing, you know, I, I lay out the note and you finish it with the perfect chord, you know, right, like right. In, a, in a music parlance. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what are you working on now? What project? Well, I have a, another film and it's the screenplay was just finished and it's uh, got some music in it. It's a bit of a comedy. I don't want to say much more than that. It's okay. kind of a screwball comedy. It's. I'll say this. It's kind of a generational. Uh, a lot of the humor comes from the uh, t- maybe the tension or the perceived tension between baby boomers and Gen Xers, shall we say, mm. and maybe some millennial angst thrown thrown in there too. So it's it's a movie at its heart. Is or the big idea was something about differences in generations, but when it came down to it, it was it's just a movie about I guess kind of like Electric Jesus making peace with your past and you know uh, getting good with people. Finding yeah. that redemption and finding a place to, yeah. you know, let's be, let's at least try to get, if we're not on the same page, let's get in the same book. Right. And that's a better way to live than yeah. otherwise. Living, uh, my, my brother is a Christian therapist down in uh, in Florida, and he's done extensive work on forgiveness and redemption and the mm. whole idea of just kind of move, moving your life on and how forgiveness itself, and the way I regard it, I regard forgiveness as, as really on the miraculous level. To truly forgive someone and truly move on is not something that is really human. It, it's mm-hmm. sort of supernatural, and it just takes it takes a movement, something in the heart, in the soul, and I think art can stimulate that. It can inspire that. It it certainly did for me. You know, I know a lot of people had. I've met people that have had had maybe traumatic experiences that they associate with their family or their church. These are horrible things, you know, people who've been victims of abuse or, or mm-hmm. spiritual, physical, otherwise. And that wasn't, my, that wasn't my story. But I did, like everybody, you know, my faith changed as I grew up. I had different life, experience that really, life experiences that challenged me. And a lot of Electric Jesus and starting to look at it was going back and, I wouldn't say deconstructing, but more interrogating that. Mm. And what did I learn at youth camp in 1985 yeah is that valid is that is that true now is it uh is it is it something i should throw away Mm. there's a song a lone justice song that shannon sings in the movie called don't don't toss us away it's a great song Mm. you've people probably heard it and it's beautiful every time it happens in the movie and that idea that song you know is there is there a way to put something back together without throwing it out entirely that that became a theme as i worked on the movie so i was able to go back and 
interrogate things and say, I don't know if that was a healthy thing or a good thing. Mm. That, that may not be what I would do now if I was in that position. But also, like, I got to, I got to actually explore and, and speak to uh, the tenets of the faith. I got to ask hard questions. Mm. And you're right, in that context of art, in that context of storytelling, those characters, my characters, which I don't even know where half the things they say come from. <laughs> you know, they just take on life. But they become something very, in a therapeutic sense, very healthy for the writer. Mm. And uh, and hopefully for the audience, too. Yeah. Well, you helped them, will probably help them live live through that, you know, live through mm-hmm. their own interrogation. Because mm-hmm. all of us do that one way or another. Yeah. Right? At one speed or another. So, Chris, it's just a delight to meet you here at the Lanier Library and to be able to talk a little bit about your movie, yeah. Electric Jesus. And I want to encourage people to go out there and watch it and just have fun with it and learn something along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really hope you guys laugh and enjoy seeing the big hair and the spandex <laughs> pants and the, you know, the striper th- theatrics of this band. And, uh, and hopefully, yeah, you leave it and you're, you're touched and maybe maybe feel a little bit hopeful too. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. What a great conversation day. I hope you agree. Only 168 hours until the next podcast drops. I can't wait. Subscribe to our podcast, rate us, give other people the opportunity to find us, tell a friend about us as well. Thanks to the Lanier Foundation, Jocelyn Solis, Phil Keggy, and Kathy Capes who helped make this podcast possible. Until next time, thanks for listening. We live in a graceless age. We live in an age where everybody is pointing fingers at everybody else. Everybody's doing it wrong. Everybody is, is, is not as pious as we are, is not as good. And that is all over the map. And one of the things that keeps compelling me and keeps me coming back to the gospel, and the reason why the gospel is actually good news is because you can't get canceled. It's just the opposite of that. It is an uncancelable policy where we, in our worst moments and in our failures, we're bought, brought back and made right with the Creator. That's amazing.